Revelation uh, chapter 7. You hear it uh, all the time on the television. Um, I will read from God's word in a moment. But you hear it all the time on the television uh, when they ask people, how far can you go with this? And people say, I want to, to go global with my singing career. I, I want to, to make it big. You, you hear it on, on Dragon's Den or The Apprentice. I want my product to hit global markets. I want to multiply my idea multinationally. But the local church has always gone global from the very beginning. It was what God intended for the new people of God. Right at the start of the, our Bibles in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was told that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right at the end of the Old Testament, it remained the same. Zechariah chapter 8, 22, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. It was still the way Jesus intended in the New Testament as the New Testament church began when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations at the end of Matthew and something close to his last words that he spoke on earth. We can hear our need, can't we, to be involved in, in the Christian work without borders. If I were to ask you this morning, why do we as Christians engage in the work of mission? Why do we as Christians engage in the work of mission? Uh, the, the, the question of why. Why? You might say because people are in need. And you'd be absolutely right. The Bible teaches us that everyone's lost without a savior called Jesus and lost for all of eternity. You might say that, that Jesus has told us to, to be involved in, in the work of mission. And yes, you'd be absolutely right in clear terms. But related to that is something even bigger and grander still. That should, that should motivate us more than anything. And rather than starting from the beginning uh, of the church or from, from our world of today and all of its obvious need, let's consider the very end. Let's look in Revelation chapter 7. The Apostle John is given a vision of heaven, a vision of the end of the world, and after the judgment and what happens then. And this is what he sees. Uh, consider verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, says John, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. John the Apostle, with that great vision of that great day, is showing us what ought to be our supreme concern. For it's the same uh, desire of, of many millions crying out on that great day. Verse 12, Amen. 
blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's what's between the amens. The goal of every missionary, the gospel worker, of everyone who sends and supports them in the local church is the glory and worship of God. And the end goal of more worshippers to give glory to him on that day. That is the why of mission. God's glory. You see, God made people in his own image to reflect him in all his glory. That's what happened in, in Genesis at the beginning. That's, that's, of course, why he made us. That's our purpose. But then came the fall. The image was not destroyed, but defaced and marred. And we've been disillusioned ever since. We've been worshipping anything and everything, and, and, and chiefly ourselves, ever since. But that reflecting of God's image is coming back again. Did you know that? The coming kingdom will do that. The, the, the new people of God will be just like that. That's what's happening with people's conversion. It's coming back again. Man's chief end. The, the point of man is to glorify God. And, that's, and what was lost is, is coming back. I was speaking to my friend the other day. And he was talking about some mutual friends that we have and, and, and that they have experienced struggles in, in their minds and dark days and, and low moods. And you, you get the idea, don't you? And I'm like, you would never know with them. They seem always so bright and, and cheerful to me. And he's like, yeah, I can see why you would think that. And I'm like, he, he's, got a, he's got a very fulfilling job. He clearly likes his work. And she's got a nice home and, and they've got a lovely family. And, 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 and he's like, yeah. But you wake in the night and you wonder what the point is. That's what he said to me. What is my life all about? As it rattles past like a steam train, faster by the year. What is my purpose? And you see, people sense pointlessness and it concerns them. People lack purpose and it concerns them. And that, of course, is the upshot of losing the biblical truth and sense of I am here to glorify God. To reflect my maker. I am here to worship him. In other words. Not the message you get on the television. Or the ads. Or on your Twitter feed. Is it? But it is the truth that we must hold. Glorify God. That is the why of life on earth. Full stop. And, it's, and the return of that is the reason for mission. To see it recovered. To help those who have who've lost their way. Telling people that you're worshipping the wrong thing, the wrong God. You, you need to know your purpose, the reason for your existence. No wonder you've lost your way. I, I was just to see him. We have concern for men and women and boys and girls. We want to help them. Yes, God has put that in us. Jesus has commanded us. He, he's told us to get out there and tell it. It's a global concern without any borders. We recognize that we're all in the same boat. We all need Christ. But chiefly and biblically, our motivation must be God's glory. That's the why. That's the why. Mission what? Secondly, this morning, what is the mission? In other words, of course, some have gotten woolly on this. We have the social gospel proponents out there muddying the waters, I would argue, those with the idea uh, that you can provide all of the physical and social needs of people and be doing Jesus' mission, where everything is mission. 
in essence. You get the big aid charities with a Christian ethos, but they don't do evangelism. And it's confusing, isn't it? And uh, Kevin DeYoung is a good read as far as uh, Presbyterians go. I saw him on Thursday at a conference. Uh, I, I recommend him on basically anything. Well, apart from baptism, you, you, you get that. <laughs> but, but, but what is the mission of the church uh, is a really good uh, book on this uh, topic. Uh, there's a great subtitle, Making Sense of Social Justice, Shalom or Peace and the Great Commission. So I recommend this to you. It's in the church library. Uh, it's very helpful when we think about what is the mission of the church. But it's true that if you can help digging wells or helping people to generate income uh, or providing food for families or shelter or medication or bringing peace to people who are in war-torn regions, that, that's right and you should. You absolutely should. But it is a myth to imagine that if you solve all the problems of this world, that you have been involved in mission as Jesus intended. We should help in this life matters as much as we can. We should share. We should give away to help people. Absolutely. But this world problems are not the end of people's problems. Their needs go further. For death, after death, of course, comes judgment. And without Christian faith in Jesus, there is no peace for anyone. John Piper said this, and I've always found it helpful. Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering, else they have a defective heart or a flameless hell. Very helpful. And we can see the issue, can't we? It's, it's one of priority. For time and resources can, can only be spent the once, and often the two sides are sort of set in conflict and pitched off against each other. Are you, are you a, a, cons, a, a conversion gospel type person, or, or are you a social needs type proponent? And either you go all in there all salvation in heaven, or you go in there all this world and improvement. If you can imagine me speaking as a social gospel proponent this morning, which I'm not, I might say that some people are so heavenly minded, they're, they're little earthly good. But historically, it actually tends to be that the churches who have focused most on heaven and salvation have been the ones who have done the most social good. And those missionaries who prioritize go, looking for God to, to, to save souls have done more lasting social good than those who only or mainly focus on doing social good alone. Why is that? Why is that? Well, perhaps when you bring a life-changing message, you bring a life-changing message. It's a very simple way to look at it, but I think it's very powerful and true. It's not one or the other. It's both needs, but the priority has to be clear, doesn't it? Yes, people need water and food and shelter, and they should help. Uh, we should help in that. They need skills to provide for themselves and for their family. We can and should help in that. But why would you leave someone to the worst suffering of all? Surely you would prioritize that. Unless you didn't believe in any world or life after this, a flameless hell, to quote John Piper, which is exactly why the crux of liberal gospel people ending up in a social gospel position, that's, that's the gist of it, that's why you end up like that. If you don't believe in the real gospel, if you're a liberal, you end up in a social gospel position. That's, that's what you got. You got this world only. Why is mission always has to be answered by another related question? Sorry, what is the mission always has to be answered by another related question, and that is this. 
what is the gospel? You see, if we get this wrong, we'll either be, we'll, we'll be going with the wrong message, we'll be sending people with the wrong message, or we'll be preaching the wrong message from this pulpit. We'll end up getting people in our church enthused for visiting unreached people groups or foreign travel or something else. We'll end up guilt-tripping people to give and go and make sacrifices without the very thing that is actually central to understanding sacrifice and giving away and the reason for going anywhere. We've got to understand what the gospel is, in other words. We'll have the car running on the wrong fuel. And if you've ever driven your car in that scenario, you'll know what happens. You don't get far. Far better to start and get enthused about the very thing that fuels it all. What is the gospel? Now, the gospel is not the results of the gospel. That you can be saved. That you can have salvation that you can go to heaven, that you can avoid hell, that you can put your head on the pillow at night and be at, at peace, that you can be confident and secure, that you can have a more fulfilled life. Those are or can be the outworkings or the results of the gospel, but those are not the gospel. The gospel, well, the gospel is a message. We can tell that from the, the original word as it's used in the Bible. It's, it's news, it's, it's good news. We can tell that from how it's explained in many places in Scripture. Let me show you a couple. 1 Timothy 1.15, uh, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's, it's a message that can be said, the saying. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It's a message that can be delivered. We get that from, from that passage. Christ Jesus came into the world to, to save sinners. And Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and, and he was raised on the third day. It's the message of Christ coming, living, dying, rising again. Paul is zoomed in here on Christ at the center of it. Paul is, is assuming here that his audience, who are Christians in churches, uh, in Ephesus and Corinth in those cases, that, that, they, that they know the full picture, that they can sort of fill in the rest for themselves. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul isn't speaking to Christians in Athens, he goes back to the very start for the sake of clarity. Let's do that for the sake of clarity. The gospel. The gospel is the, is the message of God, man, Christ, and response. You can remember it like that, can't you? You might need that next time you need to tell someone the gospel. Uh, it should happen soon enough. God. It's a message that starts with God. God created the world, and he made it perfect, and he made it good, and it's him, it's he who, who made us in his image to reflect him, and we're accountable to him. Man, God made man, but sadly, man and Adam sinned. Adam was told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the devil masquerading as a as a serpent or snake tempted Eve, and, and Adam he did nothing to stop it, and she ate, and then he ate. And they disobeyed God and ruined the relationship and made man and God enemies. That's how we're all now born in Adam. Christ. But there was a plan, a plan of redemption, a way back in love and mercy. God sent Jesus, his son, fully God and fully man. And he, and he, and he, uh, he never sins in his life. He, he never rebels against God. And, and he sacrificed on the cross to take the punishment that sinners like us deserve. 
He bears the full wrath of God and what we deserve for all of eternity. He took upon himself there and then. And God accepts his sacrifice. And we know that because he raised him from the dead. And in him we can be reconciled and at peace with God. In him we can be born again and fit for purpose again. And finally, response. Now this risen Jesus commands everyone everywhere at all times to turn from our sins and to trust in him alone to save them. What you do with Jesus, you see, determines whether you accept the gospel or reject it. Whether you remain an enemy or or reconciled with God. And that's the same for everyone in the world. If you repent and trust Jesus at that point, you are baptized and become part of the local church. That's the pattern. That's the way. The gospel has... um, various shorthand alternative names in the Bible in the New Testament, but it's the same gospel. Uh, The way, uh, the hope, uh, the faith, there are others. We'll see some of them in a moment. Uh, God has decided how mission should advance, and he intends to do it with the simple declaring of a message, the gospel. The gathering of his people into local churches who have believed in the message of the gospel. It's not Western economics. It's not the uh, only uh, this world useful. It's both worlds useful, this world and the world to come. It's telling a message, a life-giving message, a life-changing message that's shared by all who call themselves Christians. That's mission what? What about mission who? Who is to do this? Ephesians chapter 7 Sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 to 10 is about to come up on the screen, and I'll read from it. Ephesians 3, 7 to 10 says, Of this gospel, Paul writes, I was made a minister according to the grace, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Did you notice the riches of Christ in there? That's shorthand for the gospel message or the unsearchable riches of Christ to be, to be full, uh, give it its full uh, mention. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church of his uh, calling. He says, I was made a, a minister of the gospel. Did you see it there? He was one of the first. Uh, he, was the, he has this great conversion story, of course, the Apostle Paul. And, and he has this sense of call that we heard just there. He was called to preach to the Gentiles. And he's empowered for the work, isn't he? God is at work in his grace and enabling him. And there's something of a pattern in that for sure. But notice less that, that, that Paul is a sort of linchpin of all of, of that's going to happen. And more of him diverting to the rule of the church. Next slide, please. Because look at that. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Of course, we're all witnesses uh, to the message. Every one of us, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, very clear. You shall be my witnesses. That's to the disciples, but it's going out to everyone who believes. That clearly refers to the church here as well. That The church is mentioned. That's us, isn't it? We all carry the message 
And as a Christian, you have in your possession the only true message of salvation the world will ever have. There will never be another gospel, and you're expected to share it. But Paul here is called by God as a kind of special role, isn't he? And a role in another context to the Gentiles. And the local church, well, it's, it's involved, isn't it? Uh, not, it's not uninvolved, it's, it's involved. Paul's not going out rogue, as it were. The local church is involved. For, for the local church, well, they've recognized his, his call. Uh, it's, it's hard for them. Uh, he's a notorious Christian hater, Paul, before this. But, but they eventually, you know, they, they accept the idea and they accept Paul in the local churches in the, in the, in the area. You see, the local church is your bread and butter home. It's where you go to worship God. That's what you're doing here. It's where you go to be fed from God's word. It's where you serve chiefly and primarily. You are Christian, then your local church is your home. It's where you're recognized as a believer. And you should be baptized and you should be a member of the local church. And you should be moored here and belong here and involved in the work here. The local church is where discipleship occurs. It's, it's where you grow together with your brothers and sisters. And the local church recognizes gift and calling of God. This can be for various things. But this is what happens when uh, the elders ask you uh, to consider involvement in a, in a certain area or role in church because they've prayerfully considered the need and, and your gifts as they have, have got to know you and seen you uh, discipled in this place. And, and so you should see that as something of their recognition of gift in you. It discourages the elders when you say no, but it does happen and there can be reasons for that. The local church is your bread and butter home. The local church is where discipleship occurs. The local church recognizes gift and calling of God. And so it is where missionaries and gospel workers are sent from. It's all attached to the local church. Who do we send is the question. Who do we send? The easy answer is Paul. Let's send Paul. Someone like Paul. Called and gifted, but of course there's only one Paul in the Bible. You can't have, we don't have any Pauls. See, the truth is that the missionaries and the gospel workers are identified in the local church. This is where you find them. The local church identifies, the local church trains, the local church sends out. This is what happened to Barnabas and Saul in Acts chapter 13. While they were worshiping, we read the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And that can be hard. Not only did they have difficulty with Paul because of his past, but that can be hard because I'm sure they were quite uh, enamored with Barnabas and Saul. I'm sure they were doing great work where they were. I'm sure that was hard to send them out. The church is the bride of Christ. Any other organization, of course, can only be the bridesmaid. The church is the origin, the supporter, the goal. In fact, the goal in, in the other place where you're looking to evangelize. You want to have a church there. The church sends out and you want to have a church over there. That's the idea, isn't it? Incredibly connected in the work of mission is the local church. Finally, let's ask how, mission how. The local church identifies, sends out, but also supports 
the work of mission. This is what happened in Philippians 4 when the church in Philippi supported Paul. But also let's look at an example in 3 John where we can see this clearly. 3 John verse 3 to 8. For I rejoice greatly. John writes, John writes, when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. These brothers that John is speaking about, he refers to them as strangers who have come along, uh, who are, they're clearly traveling uh, Christian workers or missionaries. They, they testify to your truth, John writes, they, they, the same truth they are walking in or, or living out, we might put it. They come with the same gospel message that exists in the church, receiving this letter. The church where Gaius, the receiver of the letter, is an elder. The truth, that's another Bible shorthand for the gospel. They're putting in effort here with these men. John exhorts the church to send them on to another place to share the truth with others, the gospel. And he exhorts the church to do this in an honorable way. You see that? To do it in a manner worthy of God, he said. Because they have gone out for the sake of the name. It's another shorthand word for the gospel of Jesus. For the whole gospel that John doesn't need to start from the beginning because they're a church and they understand that. You see? So John says what? He says they ought to support people like these. We ought to support people like these. And so if they ought to support people like these, we ought to support people like these. You, you get the connection, don't you, from John's letter to, to us. Here and now, this is how you partner with them. This is how you work alongside them as the local church. The local church identifies and sends out missionaries and the local church supports missionaries. That's the idea, isn't it? It's got its hands all over mission. It's not rogue. You get some really cold person that, that's going to go off and be a missionary and he's somehow disconnected from the local church and, he, and he's sort of self-supporting and contained among. No, no, it's the local church. It's all heavily involved right through it. All connected back to the local church and clear instructions here to give to the work of mission to give in costly ways in, in sacrificial ways to, to give away in prayer in money in setting aside money that we, we could spend in something else in sending of our best it is in our remit as a church to look at those gifted in our number for gospel work to identify them, to tell them, to see them discipled, to see them trained probably at college, to send them out, to support them thereafter in the global work of the gospel being shared, wherever that may be. For the fields are white unto harvest, and the laborers are so few. And that is a sacrifice, isn't it? To give of your best. But the gospel is sacrifice through and through when you think about it, isn't it? It has to be necessary to give away. We have been giving away to, to Waterford, haven't we, to help them in a little way in their need in recent years. 
One of our young men is going to preach in another church this summer in East Belfast that we're giving away. But of course, chiefly today, we think of how we're sending out, don't we? We're sending out Chris and Susanna. We're giving away. In the DNA of our church, we need to be thinking about giving away and not grasping for ourselves. Because that is what is at the heart of the gospel. And that's how we we do mission from this place. Remember Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's a costly gospel, and it involves sacrificial giving away. Sure, we could keep it all. All the money in the bank and have a nice healthy bank balance and the treasurer might be happy. I don't think ours would be, but you know, another one might be. And the good gifted people that we have, we could, we could let them be used now and again here for their hours. But, or we could not use them at all because there's so many of them and you know, they, that's a waste. And we could become a big leading light uh, bulging to the seams of, of un, undertapped gospel resources and people and finance. We could do all that. But that's a waste, isn't it? We give away so that in the round, the whole church benefits. You see, that's the same sort of DNA attitude that enables a church at some point when they get to a certain size to to plant another church. You don't suddenly decide in whatever size of church, oh, we're going to just plant another church, it's got to be in people's mind that they're able to give away because otherwise they'll never do it because they just want to stay here and he's a really nice pastor and I like all these people and there's no way we're moving down the road to plant a church. Don't be silly, you see. You've got to have it in your, in your DNA to give away, to be a generous church. Better to send out for God's glory, not for our glory. For, of course, that's the purpose of it all, isn't it? That's the purpose of us all. As the new creation people of God, it's in our DNA to glorify God. Let's pray together, shall we?